One moment, they say. Okay. I'm still glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I think probably when that was written, there were no electronics. There were no hindrances uh, that way. They would say this as they were, they would rehearse these psalms as they were going up to Jerusalem. And I was thinking this morning as I, as I saw that, we, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, this was written um, when that was the worship center. Jerusalem was the mountain of God, and that's where people would go numerous times per year to worship together as a whole nation. But now it's the body of Christ. You know, that's been opened up. When we're in Christ, it's the church. It's the body, not just a building. But I've been a, a church guy a long time, and so I like the building. You know, I like the buildings. I like the places to go. I like not having the rain on my head, that sort of thing. But it's not the building that's gathering. It's you and I. And Peter tells us that we're like living stones. And when we come together, God assembles us and makes us a house of worship and a place that honors him and gives him praise. And I felt that this morning as I was here uh, with you and worshiping together that we were being assembled for ministry and for loosing an opportunity in the kingdom of God. And my continual rehearsal here uh, where I was sitting was, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Let it be done here today. We need your kingdom. You know, wherever the kingdom of God shows up, things change, right? Uh, Jesus is walking and out comes the funeral procession out of the city. And it's the lady with her, her only son is in the casket and she's mourning. And, and the kingdom of God is, is right there. The king is there. And where he is, the kingdom is, right? And so he, he will, goes over and touches and stops the procession and raises him from the dead and then goes on to lunch. <laughs> he restores her hope by restoring her son. The kingdom of God was present. Jesus sent his disciples out, as you were saying, Julie, sends us out to preach the kingdom of God has come nigh. The kingdom of God is among you. And that's because it resides within you now and I. The Lord Jesus Christ lives in us. He said he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He would indwell us. He would give us his Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and strengthen us, empower us. And so where we go, the kingdom goes. And we should begin to expect those kind of things to occur. Um, you know, stopping a funeral procession should probably not be your first event. <laughs> Unless God tells you, of course. But where you are, the kingdom is. Amen? And where you are, Jesus is present. You know, we used to joke around a little bit and say, uh, how do you know Jesus was, was here today at church? They say, well, I brought him. You know, the little ones have such a simple view of this. Well, of course he's here. He lives in my heart. And uh, why wouldn't he be here? I'm here. It's, it's, they're not self-centered. They're just simple. And when we're in the grocery lines and we're in our jobs and we're in our community and we're working together with others and we're around people that don't know Christ, they should have a moment of experiencing him because we're there. Right? Okay. That was just the beginning. Colossians. Let's go here. Pastor Rob gave me a tough assignment. Verses 24 through 29. Paul the Apostle. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I want to make the comment here as we begin the, this letter to the Colossians takes about 12 minutes to read. I timed it. I'm that kind of a guy. 
I get my stopwatch out, and I begin reading. And then I write down how long it took to read that chapter. It takes about 12 minutes. And I'm not reading any faster than you. Okay? It took me equally as long just to read the introduction that's in my Bible to the book. And so in 24 minutes, I was able to read the introduction and some of the footnotes and the entire epistle. It's not hard to read the Bible. Amen? Amen. 12 minutes. You can read this whole epistle. And I encourage Pastor Rob, myself, and you that during the time we're going through this series that you just put Colossians on your reading list and give it about 12 minutes every now and then and just read the whole thing. And then as we're ministering from these pages, God will bring revelation to you that may not even come across through the preaching. It'll come alive to you. And the Lord will impart truth to you. And you know what Jesus said. If you know the truth, what will happen? It begin to set you free. So we want to live free, don't we? And so we need the truth. Colossians 1, 24 to 29, is, for me, has four points today. One is a suffering with joy. Two, a stewardship with purpose. Three, a secret with eternal glory. And four, a supernatural striving. Suffering with joy. It's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? Suffering with joy. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Picture with me Paul the Apostle sitting in jail. He's ministered in Ephesus for about three years, and during that three years, the word of the Lord that he has labored over and ministered to others has moved through Epaphras off to Colossae. We, we call it that. I mean, Colossae, is, it just depends on how you want to pronounce it, which language you're using, but it's, the Gospels made it to Colossae. And Epaphras has come back to Paul and said, look, we're having some problems. There's some intermingling of faith and, and other beliefs, and we need some straightening out over here. It's getting dangerous. The teachings are coming against the truth. And so Paul pens this letter to a group of people he's never met and who have never seen him face to face. But he's in prison for his faith again. We'll see this later. He's in prison again. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing the correction to them and sends it to the church so that they can benefit from it. Not only them, but he says, after you've read this letter, I want you to send it and let the church in Laodicea read it too. And be sure you read the one I wrote to them. This correction and this encouragement, this exhortation is coming from the apostle, but he's in jail for the gospel. This suffering, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. I, I, I think this... Two things I want to point out. Joy is so important. Joy, not happiness. Happiness is temporal. Happiness depends on your circumstances. You can have joy all the time, but happiness comes and goes, doesn't it? Comes and goes whether you're in the right lane on the freeway or if you're in the right lane. Or if you're in the, you know, it's, it's if, if it's like you, you get in a line. You see there's four lines to choose from. You check out which one's moving fast. You get in that one, and somehow it slows down. What is that? I don't get that. My happiness can be taken from me in an instant because I'm in the wrong line or in the wrong lane. But joy is resident. You know where joy comes from? Not to spend too much time on it, but I'm looking at you as closely as I can, eyeball to eyeball, because joy comes when you walk into the room and somebody goes, oh, and they're so happy to see you. They don't care what you did yesterday or where you came from, what's going on in your life. They don't know anything more than you just walked into the room. It's the same kind of joy that when a parent leans over in the crib and the baby opens its eyes and the parent is there and the two of them exchange this moment. They say that the transmission that goes between the two brains is at a rate of something like six or seven times a second with no words, just the facial expression. And it's this moment of saying, I'm just glad you're here. And the little one says, I'm just glad you're here. And it's, it's going back and forth seven times a second. And it's reinforcing the very fact that you are loved. Now that produces joy in your life. It actually produces joy in your brain. And if you want to know where, it's in the right prefrontal cortex. You can go home and look that up. Paul the Apostle says, now I rejoice. He's already been suffering. He's in jail. 
He preaches the gospel. He gets beaten. He goes to jail. And he's suffering. He knows there's a purpose in his suffering. And when he gets word that the church has expanded from Ephesus over to Colossae, he says, now I'm rejoicing because my suffering is on purpose. It's with purpose. If you'll go with me and think about this, let's put the crucifixion, the resurrection in about AD 29, okay? I'm not going to bore you with history and details. I just want to lay a little groundwork. So around AD 29, if you're using Reese's chronology. And Saul of Tarsus comes on the scene in the persecution of the church about nine years, eight or nine years later in AD 37. And this is what God says to Ananias, who he sent to lay hands on him when he was blinded, right? If you know this in Acts chapter 8, chapter 9. Saul's on his way to persecute the church, and uh, God reveals himself to him on the road to Damascus, and he's turned blind. It's really cool because God says to Ananias, Saul has seen in a vision a man coming to him to lay hands on him and to heal him and take the scales off his eyes. I think it's interesting that Saul had a vision while he was blinded. Something about visions that don't need our natural ability to comprehend them. And Ananias doesn't really want to go because everybody who talks to Saul ends up in jail if they're a believer. He says, well, this is the guy that's throwing everybody in jail. Are you sure you got the right deal going here? And God says, listen, here's what I, in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, 16, he says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It was in the, the very calling of Saul of Tarsus, the very calling of Paul the Apostle in the making, to suffer. How many of you had that calling when you came to Christ? Come to Jesus today. Give him all your sins. Be forgiven. And by the way, you're going to suffer. <laughs> it's going to hurt. It was in his calling. It was in his testimony. 20 years later, from that moment, when Ananias said, Saul, brother Saul, receive your sight, be filled with the Holy Ghost, you're being set on a pathway of ministry, and you're going to suffer for the name of Jesus. Twenty years later, Paul the Apostle is writing 2 Corinthians, and in verse 7, he has this little snippet in verse 4, he says, I am exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. Joy in suffering. I'm exceedingly joyful. Joyful in all of our tribulation. A little later in the same epistle, if you want to turn with me, this is, this is just fun reading in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 22, he's defending himself. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. Listen to this list. In stripes more above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. It was his testimony. Suffering was his testimony. It was in his calling, and it was his testimony. He had a list. I mean, this is the man that was stoned until they thought he was dead. And the brothers got around him and prayed, and he, and he raised up and went on to the next city to preach and suffer again. But Paul is saying, as he writes to the Colossians, well, now I'm rejoicing in my sufferings because I see its fruitfulness. It's upon me to suffer for the church. 
He said, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And just for the sake of clarification, sometimes we read that verse and we go, wait a minute. Is he saying that he had to suffer because Jesus didn't suffer enough? And that's not what it says. He's just saying that the church is going to experience suffering. And I'm going to do my part to share in the sufferings of Christ. It's going to be persecuted. I'll do my share to be persecuted for Christ. I don't believe that anything I suffered in my body adds to what was done at the cross. I don't believe that. The cross was enough. Jesus' suffering paid for everything to set us free and to make us unfettered people who could follow him in fellowship. Amen? But I will suffer. You will suffer something in serving Christ. Paul's, it was in his calling. It was in his testimony. 20 years after his conversion, he had a list of all. I'm, I, I pastored in this church for 28 years. I don't have anything like a record like this. Nothing. I've never even been in jail for preaching the gospel. I've never been beaten. I've never been stoned. I mean, the worst that's happened to me is a few bad names. Right? I've been persecuted in the church more than by others. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's not go off on that. <laughs> when, when Paul is writing to the Philippians, it's about five years after he wrote what he wrote in Corinthians about this list of suffering. And he says this, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Twenty years into his ministry, he's got a list of persecutions. Five years later, he says, if I could just fellowship in his sufferings. It was his consuming desire to be conformed to Jesus in whatever way was necessary. To know him and the power of his resurrection meant I need to be in fellowship with his suffering because Jesus suffered before he resurrected. And then at the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, one of the last letters that he writes. He's mentoring his follower. He's mentoring Timothy, a man after his own heart. He's mentoring the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he says this to him in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12. Let me just turn there so I don't miss any of it. He says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Again, a prisoner now in Rome. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought the life, have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, if you've been in the church very long, and this might even be, it's underlined in my Bible. We even have songs written that back up this. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. But we don't often read the verses ahead of it about the suffering that's included. For Paul, the suffering with joy was in his calling, it was in his testimony, it was his consuming desire, and it became part of his mentoring to others. He wrote from prison. He wrote letters. He ministered from prison. He, he was glad to be in the Roman prison held by the most elite guards where he was chained to one every hour of the day. And they would change shifts. Do you know about this? He was in prison. They chained him to one of the Praetorian guards. And he delighted in it because they couldn't get away. They thought it was the other way around. He said, this is my opportunity. They take four-hour shifts. Buddy, you're in for it now. I'm going to tell you the truth. And he actually won them to Christ. He said, I'm not in prison because I've done wrong. I'm in prison to be a minister. I'm here to declare truth and set them free. How else could you get to a Praetorian guard unless you were put in jail? You know, in China... 
The pastors talk among themselves, I hear, and when they talk, they want to qualify each other's ministry and their validity as pastors. And one of the first things they ask is, how long have you spent in prison? Because if they say, well, I've never been in prison, well, you're not a pastor. You're not declaring truth in our country. Because if you declare the truth openly in our country, you will go to jail. I heard the story of one pastor that was in a, in a prison situation with 360 inmates. And he would pray with them. And he led all of them to the Lord. And then they started praying together and said, pray that I'll be moved. And so the, the guards came to him and said, we're moving you to another prison. You're causing trouble in this one. You're taking control of all these guys, and we're moving you. And he would go back to the guys and say, they're moving me. I get another ministry opportunity. They send me to another prison where nobody's saved yet. This was his delight. And this is like Paul the Apostle. He's suffering with joy. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with its eternal glory. Suffering's not a problem. Did you hear me? Suffering's not a problem. Jesus gave it to you as a promise. Do you remember? John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. Outside of him, no peace. In him, peace. These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This word tribulation, thlepsis, if you will, if you love Greek, thlepsis. This is the same word that Paul the Apostle used when he wrote, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Philipses. What does it mean? It's important for us to hear the definition, if you will. I'm taking it from the Strong's. Here's what tribulation and suffering means. If, you're, if you've got a Strong's concordance, you write down 2347. That's the number in the Greek. Pressure. Oppression. Stress, anguish, tribulation, adversity, affliction, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. The illustration is imagine putting, and I wanted to illustrate this morning, it would take too long. As you were coming in, I would have had them hand each of you just one piece of paper with a slight tweak to it. And then we would gather them all up and put them in a put them here and they would loosely stack up. And then I'd put my hands on top of them and press them until they were all flat together. And what would I be doing? I would be offering it tribulation, offering it fleepsies. I would be pressing the air out of them until they were squished flat. This is the word for tribulation that Jesus promised you and me. I promise you that in me you'll have peace, but as long as you're in the world, you're going to have the air pressed out of you. You're going to be squashed, squished flat on your face. You're going to have anguish. You're going to have distress. This is the Lord Jesus talking to us. He's telling us what to anticipate. Are you happy about serving Jesus today? Say, oh, I just can hardly wait to have the air. Have you ever had the air knocked out of you? Oh, boy, the vivid memory of that. Isn't that something else? I remember out of the swing, flat on your back. <coughs> you thought it was over. I did. I thought, I'm never going to breathe again. I didn't know my lung had collapsed and needed to reinflate. I didn't care what the physiology was. I just wanted to breathe. Jesus says it's going to happen to you. Moms, dads, grandparents, students, workers, employers, friends, family, life groups, relationships, you're going to have the air knocked out of you. You're going to be squished flat as long as you're in the world. 
Peter wrote these words. He said, it's better if you suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There's a difference, right? We could do evil and we can suffer for it. Doesn't count. But if you're doing good and you suffer for it, like Paul is in prison writing to these guys, he said, I'm suffering for doing good. Therefore, I have joy and I have peace and I have his grace to live through me. I'm okay here in prison. Don't get me out too soon. There's more guards that need Jesus. But let me write to you and encourage you. The whole book of Philippians, they call it the book of joy, right? It's constant. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. I'm in prison. I'm writing to you. Have you had the air knocked out of you recently? Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, verse 15. He said, I don't pray, Father, that you should take them out of the world. In other words, he's saying, Lord, leave them in the world. I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Lord, Father, it's okay if they suffer. We'll give them peace. Don't let them suffer for doing evil, but they will suffer for doing good. You're swimming upstream in this world if you're following Christ. It's going to be tough. Don't worry, it gets better. Maybe maybe I should just quit there and leave it like that. But Paul the Apostle had a stewardship that was with purpose. He says, not only am I afflicted, not only am I rejoicing in my sufferings, but the church, I became a minister to the church, the body of Christ, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me to fulfill in preaching the word to you. The stewardship of purpose, you know, he was in Ephesus, right? You know, I, there needs to be some airflow in here, doors open or something, because you're falling asleep on me, and I'm, I'm not a bad preacher. <laughs> I might be a bad one today, but don't you dare sleep on me. It's getting warm. I can see it. When's the last time you suffered for Christ? This morning. In your service, when you were preaching, I was suffering. It's terrible. If we were in Africa, it would be different. We would just sweat profusely and keep going, but we're not there. Ephesians chapter 3, you don't have to turn. Let me just read it as best I can. May I? Because that's where he was in prison. And he's talking about his stewardship of purpose. And he's writing to the Ephesians and he says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, I already have to pause and think of Acts chapter 9 when Paul went to the synagogue for weeks and he was reasoning with the Jews about Jesus being the Savior. And then a bunch of them got together and said, we don't like you anymore. We don't believe what you're telling us. And he said, fine. And he shakes out his clothes, a Jewish expression, shakes out his clothes and says, your own blood be on you. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Which was finally good because God had called him to the Gentiles. So from now I'm going to the Gentiles. He goes next door to the 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 guy's house that helps rule the the synagogue, and he teaches in his house for a year and a half. And the leader of the synagogue gets saved and becomes part of the Bible study that Paul's leading next door. It's a successful moment. Good to see you, Samuel. It's a little man on a mission. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is chapter 3 of Ephesians. This is his stewardship. I was given a revelation that the Gentiles get to be partakers together with the promises given to Israel. Everybody's going to be one now. This Christ is going to live inside of you. You get to be partakers of life in Christ. You're not separate. You're not second-class citizens. You don't have to come under the table like the woman who said, Oh, Master, even the, the dogs lick the crumbs that fall from the tables. You remember that? Jesus came to Jesus and said, My daughter is possessed of a demon. Deliver her. She was a Gentile. Jesus didn't even speak to her. That's what the Bible says. He didn't even acknowledge she was there. She said, help me. He said, it's not right to give the bread of the children to the dogs. He called her a dog. The, the bread of the children was for the Jews. He said, he's only sent me to the lost house of Israel. She said, oh, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He said, I haven't found such faith like this in all of Israel. He said, go, your request is taken care of. And her daughter was delivered from demonic oppression in that very moment. This is the Son of God. Paul the Apostle's on a mission. He's got this stewardship with purpose. It's to deliver the truth to the whole world. All of the Gentiles who have been left out of the promises, they're not part of the covenants of God. They cannot be a participants in what God is doing in the earth. But now, Jesus has come and broken down the middle wall of partition made of the two, one, Jew and Gentile, and said, you get to have Jesus living inside of you. You have full access. You're children of God. You're fully adopted into the kingdom. You're not second-class citizens. You're not in after the Jews. You've been grafted into the tree. You're part of the fruitfulness of his kingdom. He said, this is what compels me. This is my stewardship. I have been called to be a servant to the body of Christ and deliver this message wherever I go. In fact, he uses the word about himself, saying, I've been called to be a deacon. I've been called to wait on tables. I've been called to be the subservient one who takes care of you first. And so when he suffered, it was with joy. He knew his servanthood was being fulfilled. When he, when he fulfilled his stewardship, he was fulfilled. I like it when I finally get going. When I look at my notes, I'm already ahead of myself. <laughs> I thought, oh, I missed something. Oh, no, I just did that. What was his stewardship? This secret that had been revealed to the church. A secret with eternal glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. If I can use Ephesians again, because this is where it started. He said, therefore, 2 verse 11, therefore, remember and I say this to us, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember 
that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you and to me who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. The mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I know there are many ways of defining that sentence in the Bible. My own personal preference or my own study and writing it out comes out this way. Christ living his life in and through you, wherever you go, is God's only hope of being glorified in the earth. See, he's entrusted To you and I, that Ephesians 3.10 sticks in my mind, that now to principalities and powers might be made known the manifold wisdom of God through the church, the body of Christ. He's not going to come and just do miracles randomly on the street to prove who he is. He's going to work it through the church. He's going to work through you. He's going to work through me. He's going to, where we go and we carry his kingdom, and where we bring his influence, that's where he'll be glorified. And so that's why I interpret this Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ living his life out through you. Galatians 2.20, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I am alive. But it's him living through me. When that happens, then God has a, a hope of being glorified in the earth. There's also the hope of eternity wrapped up in that verse. That Christ living in me is that connection to the hope that there is a future beyond this place. Amen. And I greet the family in the back row there. Yesterday we took the matriarch of of their family who passed on to the Lord last week. She's with the Lord. I mean, she's in the hope. The Christ in her is reunited to the Christ of heaven. That's where we're going. We're all, we're all, you know, the death rate is still 100%. We're all going to go there. I know you're hoping for that one generation where Jesus comes and the living get to go up. You know, some of you do the rapture practice thing. <laughs> Christ in you. Just in case it's today. You know. Want to get ahead and start. Yeah, that's the beauty of living in the mountains, right? We're already, uh, we're closer. But the dead in Christ will rise first and then we'll go with them. All of this produced in Paul the Apostle a supernatural striving. A supernatural striving. In verse 28 of Colossians 1, he says, Him we preach, this Christ, this Christ, the one who lives in you. He's the one we preach. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I work at this Paul the Apostle says, by God's energy and not mine. That's what he put. I'm laboring. I'm striving according to his energy working in me. It's still the Christ in him that's doing the work. It's Christ in you that does the work. Don't you find that when we get into our own strength and try and work it out our own way, it's really tiring? 
is, is laborious. It's hard and it's not fruitful. And we get to the end of the day or a week and we think, man, this is just not working out. And then you realize, oh, I've been doing it myself. There's, there's a picture that I was, Piggy and I were talking this week, and it, it, maybe this will help you, but some of us have adopted however we got it, not to condemn us, but an attitude that God is here, and we go over here to him, and we worship, and we pray, and we read the word, and we talk with him, and we draw strength and get advice, or whatever we do. We go over here, we talk to him, and then somehow in that moment, we say, okay, it's been good, Goodbye. And then we're supposed to, we think, by the Bible's instruction, to go now and come over here and face other people and deal with our family or our work or the world or whatever it is. And and we feel separated from him in this moment. Like we're, we're acting on our own. We're over here working to do something for him now. We need to get rid of that somehow. We need to dis- dispel that because Jesus said, I don't leave you, I don't forsake you. Where you go, I go. I'm in you. So while we may draw aside to him and spend time with him, draw from him, when we move from there to go and minister, he is with us. We're not separated. And so when I'm talking or working or dealing with others, whether it's my children or grandchildren or the boss or the employee or whoever it is in your situation, Jesus is right there with you. He's not separate. He's not God afar off. He's a God near. And so he's working in and through you in that moment. The strength you derive for your, from your private times with him, whether you want to call it devotions or whatever, walking in the woods, whatever you do, spend time with him. When you come back from those moments, he comes back with you. And when you spill over onto others and you minister by his grace, it's him ministering through you. You're not separate. Does that make sense? You know, I thought too many of us are working this disparity, and now I feel like I'm on my own over here. And I got to do my best. I got to do my best over here to do what Jesus wants me to do. And then I'll go back and see if I have his approval. He's right there with me. To this end, I labor striving according to his working. A supernatural striving. His energy, not mine. You've done it. You've gone the extra mile when you didn't have any ability left, right? And you knew after it was over that it was his strength working through you. It was his strength carrying you along. If you want to get kind of, you know, sort of soulish, we could read the footprints in the sand thing, right? You know, that, that makes us feel good, that during the trouble times I was carrying you. But it's true. It's true. Second Timothy chapter 2. And don't be afraid. I'm not going to preach a whole other book. Remember, Paul is... Signing off, he's looking at his death, which is imminent. He knows it's the next thing to occur. This is the book where he's writing to Timothy and saying, you know, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I know where I'm going. It's okay. My life is about to be poured out entirely for the kingdom of God, and that's all right with me. But he begins this conversation with Timothy, and by the time he gets to to what we call the second chapter, he says to Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entered entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. 
If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He's passing on to Timothy the exhortation, you too should have some supernatural striving about you. Work according to his grace. Work according to his presence in your life. Don't do it on your own. There's a big job ahead and there's suffering to come along with it, but don't lose your joy. In that definition of suffering, that fleet cease, that pressing out of the air, one other point needs to be made. In the embracing of the language, the only thing that's having the air pressed out of it is something that is already free and unfettered. Think about that with me just for a moment. Free and unfettered. See, as Christians, we're free, right? We're free from sin. We're free from the devil. We're free from the effects of the world taking control of us any longer. We've been set free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And then we give ourselves to Christ. And he says, now in your free state, you're unfettered. You're loosed from the things that used to hold you and bind you. You're free from the, uh, the enemy's torments that used to torment you. You can be out from under all of that. But in your freedom, that's what gets pressed. Every believer who is free and unfettered is going to have the air pressed out of them. Jesus promised this. But as the grape and the olive are pressed, and they're included in the definition, they're illustrated by the word philipsis. This is, this is what we do to grapes and olives. See, grapes and olives are free. They're unfettered. They just get to be grapes and olives. But when we take them out of the field and we press them, what happens? They produce new wine. They produce new oil. They produce something of value. And when we have the air pressed out of us on the rebound, we get to drink in of the Holy Spirit. And it will turn into rivers of living waters for others. The fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit will express itself in dynamic power for living and serving. The results of our being pressed will be the fresh drawing in of the graces of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, working to miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. When we have the air pressed out of us, and when we're free and unfettered, we're serving Jesus, so we come to tribulation and suffering, I'm looking for the rebound moment. When, when the pressure comes off, and I'm able to expand and draw in again, I want to make sure my source is His grace. I want to make sure my source is the Holy Spirit. And then all of those graces come with Him. And all of His gifts come with Him. And then I'm able again in my fullness, in my unfettered and free state, to minister out of who He is in me. like Paul, we're called to be servants of the gospel. We have a stewardship to share this truth. We heard Julie exhort us this morning. People are dying to hear what we want to say. Let's say it to them. Let's tell them the truth. Let's give them the gospel. The good news is that Christ can live in them as well. Our work needs to be done in his power and not ours. And so that's where we want to lean on his grace. And in closing, ladies, I need to exclude you just for a moment. You can listen in, but I want to talk to the guys. Okay? Gentlemen, in verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. You know, the gospel's been given to the women for too long in this generation the truth of the Word of God and the ministry of the Spirit has been relegated off. And I won't go into all the reasons for why that is. And ladies, I'm not against you. Thanks for carrying the load. But guys, Paul the Apostle, if he's here this morning, he would probably separate us out, take us out back, and give us a good tongue lashing. 
He said, you need to carry the strength of the word. You need to be the stewards of the gift of God. You need to be the masters of the word and the presence of the spirit in your home. You need to be the leaders of the church. And you need to experience this suffering that comes from being involved in the gospel. Don't suffer for evil. Suffer for doing good. Find your place of declaring truth to your neighbors, to your workers, to your friends. Find the place of carrying the gospel openly everywhere you go and take it as the heat you should and let God work through you. I see Paul being very specific, and I know it can be generic that man in the scriptures can be mankind. It can include women too. We're not excluding you ladies, but I think Paul's being very specific. He's writing to us saying, carry the load. Get involved. Do what you should do to make the kingdom go forth and protect your women and your families as you do it. That was just a closing exhortation. Amen? Guys, let's get on the job like Paul the Apostle. Uh, wouldn't you like to say 20 years into your salvation you had a list like he did? I've been in prison more often than everybody else. I've been in trouble all the time. I've been beat up and I've been thrown out. All for the right reasons. And to be able at the end of your ministry to say, and because of that, now there's a crown of glory laid up for me. And I know that when my life is finally over, I will have run my race, I will have kept the faith, I will have fought the fight, and I will have won in doing what God called me to do. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. It is, in fact, truth. You are the truth. Thank you that your word has the power to set us free and to put us on a course of righteousness that cannot be stopped. Father, I pray that you will convince us that we cannot do it in our own strength, but we must draw upon your grace in your life that lives through us. Help us to learn daily in a new ability, developing a new skill to allow you to live through us, to draw from your life and let it pour through. Help us to be the vessel that stands in the middle of your flowing river, receiving from you and giving out on the other side. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering right now because of their faithfulness to your kingdom. And I ask that you would impart to them this joy, this delight that you, when you see them walking into the room, when you see them in their suffering state, you light up and you say to them, even without words, you are the sparkle in my eye. You are the apple of my eye. You're in the center of my vision and I love you. Lord, reinforce them today with your great care and love. In Jesus' name. Send us out on mission. Send us out as servants to your kingdom. Lord, anoint us with a fresh anointing from the squeezing that we have been in. Let us draw forth the oil of your anointing for the next point of service as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for putting up with electronics.